Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. O Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. O Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have done evil to him who is at peace with me, or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather round you. Rule over them from on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. O righteous God who searches minds and hearts, bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Father God, it is a miracle that you would speak to us in a way that we could know you and know ourselves. We pray for the work of your spirit in our hearts tonight. Please help us to hear and understand and obey. May the warnings and encouragements of this psalm be of great help to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do sit down. And then please turn back in the Bible uh, to Psalm 7, page uh, 545. And if you'd like to take notes, you might find a spare corner of one of the bits of paper you were given um, on the way in. We're starting a new series tonight, uh, Summer Psalms. In fact, we're picking up from where we ended uh, this time last summer, which I'm sure you all remember very well indeed. It was Psalm 6, in case you don't. You probably haven't heard of someone called Michael Morton. Now, he's not a famous figure for having done anything uh, notable or great. Uh, There he is. In fact, Michael Morton uh, is known for something he didn't do. In 1986, he was arrested, charged, and then convicted for the brutal murder of his wife in their home in Williamson County, Texas. He then served uh, 25 long years uh, in prison. Then in 2005, a pro bono lawyer from Houston began to um, explore and contest uh, his case. And as a result of that legal action, it was found that in the original trial, a state prosecutor had knowingly uh, withheld vital DNA evidence. Michael Morton was innocent. He was exonerated and he was released in 2011. And following all of that, um, the state prosecutor in question was himself uh, charged, convicted and imprisoned. 
Now, I cannot imagine, I cannot begin to imagine the pain and suffering caused to, to Michael Morton, who not only lost his wife and then suffered wrongful imprisonment, and perhaps even worse than that, um, the stigma um, of being known as a murderer when he was no such thing. It's a terrible thing, isn't it, when, when someone is, is hunted down and wrongly accused and falsely convicted and punished like that. And here in Psalm 7, the author, that is King David, is, is anxious to avoid just that kind of thing. He is someone who's being falsely uh, accused, and in that situation, he cries to God for help and shelter. Look at verse 1. O Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. And if you want to take notes, there's the first heading. David's desperate cry. Now as we get our sort of bearings in this psalm, you might think, well, who is pursuing him and when and why? What's the situation here? We'll see from the little heading at the top of the psalm there that, that his accuser is Cush, the Benjamite. Uh, now, we don't actually know a lot at all about Cush. But if you look back to the, the similar heading at the start of Psalm 3, you'll see that there David was being uh, pursued by his own son, Absalom. Um, it's a pretty dark story in David's life. His own son maliciously turns against him. It's possible that these first few psalms here, including Psalm 7, might relate to that sort of uh, time period. And if that's right, Cush might be a player in that game. So he might be a, a fellow conspirator with Absalom. Um, that fits with the sort of theme of accusation that you get in the psalm. Since um, Absalom, one of the things he did was, was to run a pretty effective smear campaign um, against his own dad and if you want some bedtime reading you can test that up in 2 Samuel 15 but whoever Cush is um, his opposition um, is no laughing matter at all in fact uh, he's a deadly and vicious opponent look at verse 3 this is what David's afraid of they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me This guy, Cush, isn't just David's accuser. Given his way, he'll pursue David until he's the judge and the jury and the executioner as well. And David is terrified. Now, really, few, probably none of us, have any idea what it means to be hunted down in fear of our lives. This this is way out of the zone of our experience. I guess in modern terms... This might be the the fear of our Christian brothers and sisters this week in in Mosul, in Iraq, um, whose doors have been marked with the Arabic letter N for Nazarene or Christian by the ISIS Islamists. They've been told to um, abandon Christ, pay a huge fine or die. And as you just picture them frantically gathering up children and clothes and belongings and crying desperately to God for some kind of help and shelter and as you picture them fleeing towards the Kurdish border I guess that's the kind of fear that we're talking about and for David see just like Michael Morton he's innocent the the things that he's accused of he hasn't done look at verse 3 again Um, oh Lord my God if I have done this 
And if there's guilt on my hands, if I have done evil to him who is at peace with me or, or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue me and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. In other words, if I'm guilty, if I did it, if it's me in the wrong, if it's me who's done the evil rather than him, if it's me who's the thief and the criminal, then let justice be done. Let me face the death I deserve. Now, of course, the clear, the clear implication that David's making is that he isn't guilty. He hasn't done those things. And in this particular case, at least, David is innocent. And so if you skip on a little further to verse 8, he, he appeals there to God. He says, judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. Now, don't get this wrong. David isn't claiming here that he's a totally good, absolutely righteous person, that that he never does anything wrong. In fact, you would only need to cast uh, your eyes over the Psalms before and after this one to see that there are plenty of times when David himself needs to appeal to God for his mercy. But in this case, David is innocent. And Cush and his cronies are falsely accusing David, and so he appeals, he appeals, he cries uh, to the ultimate judge, to God himself for help. Now, one of the travesties of the Michael Morton case was that it was the legal system itself in the form of the state prosecutor that failed him so horribly. See, the very people who were supposed to carry out justice just didn't. And the integrity of those who were charged with administering justice just just couldn't be relied upon. And so an innocent man went down, but not so for David. It's a different story here because his his appeal it goes way higher than that did you notice how David addresses the Lord again and again throughout the psalm look there verse 9 O righteous God who searches minds and hearts again verse 11 God is a righteous judge and verse 17 I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness unlike Michael Morton David can have confidence that in the end in the end at least justice will be done because the God that he appeals to well he sees all and he knows all because he's the righteous judge he has the power to see the evidence completely And he has the goodness to judge the outcome rightly. And the righteous judge loves justice. Which brings us to the second point, if you want to take notes. It's this, uh, God's unbreakable chain. Now, there are certain actions um, in in life which have inevitable consequences. You know how it goes. Um, High hopes for an England World Cup performance um, always precede shock early group stage exit which always precede a period of national mourning and soul searching and so it is with God but in in a different way see there's an unbreakable chain with the Lord between on the one hand wickedness and judgment and on the other between righteousness and refuge 
We began this series actually last summer by looking at Psalm 1. Actually, that's a place where we heard all about this kind of unbreakable chain. Just look back there. Let me read it for you quickly. Back a few pages. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the laws. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. On the other hand, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And then there's a summary in verse six. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, there's an unbreakable chain between wickedness and judgment and on the other hand between righteousness and refuge and you see back in psalm 7 cush and his cronies are calling david the evildoer but their accusations says david are false and so their pursuit of him uh, is nothing but an appalling act of violence predicated on malicious lies these are the people in other words uh, in the words of Psalm 5, verse 6, uh, who, uh, David says of the Lord, you destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. And in the mess and just the terror of this situation, David appeals to God, the righteous judge. Why? Because he's got this confidence that in the end, In the end, God will judge the wicked and on the other hand, will protect the innocent. And as he begins to do that, you you get the impression that the horizons of the Psalms begin to lift um, a little from the struggle of one man uh, to, to a theme broader than that of God bringing justice to the whole world. So have a look at verses six and seven. It starts off small with David. Awake, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. And then broader and broader. Let the assembled peoples gather around you. Rule over them from on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. David expands his theme from just himself to to a wider one of God bringing justice to the whole world. So next time when you watch the news, and frankly this has happened a lot in the last couple of weeks, and as you... As you just despair, again, over a world where it just seems like the powerful are the ones who prosper on the backs of the poor, and where in nation states across the globe, corruption just seems to reign supreme, and when the quickest way to the top always just seems to be to crush those who are below, and when you feel that kind of despair about a world where 1.2 million children are illegally trafficked, stolen from their parents, every year and where there just seems to be frankly such injustice and such violence and such evil when again you feel that way well find reassurance in this there is a righteous judge in heaven Luke says it this way in Acts 17 for he the Lord has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And David can be sure of that justice because there is an unbreakable chain with the Lord. Acts of rebellion against God in the end are futile.
In fact, one commentator says from this psalm that, that acts of rebellion against the Lord are fertile and futile. As verses 14 and 15, have, have a look there. He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. So that's the fertility of evil, if you like. And what it produces is mere disillusionment. Haven't you experienced yourself just indulging in uh, some sin, um, just really counting on hoping for uh, comfort, pleasure, but in the end, just just feeling, finding that it it just left you um, unsatisfied, empty, hollow, guilty, disillusioned? That's the fertility of evil. It just gives birth to disillusionment. But then there's the futility of evil. That's verse 15. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he's made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. See, in the end with the Lord, judgment comes to the wicked. As an aside, if you feel kind of dissatisfied with that analysis because you just, again, look around the world and see that the wicked just seem to prosper, then I'd prescribe a different psalm for you, Psalm 73. There, a different uh, psalmist, Asaph, this time, wrestles with that kind of a question. And, And he sees ultimately that this side of death or the next, but ultimately one way or the other, God does bring justice. So if that's your problem or your objection, then Psalm 73 is a good place to go. But back in Psalm 7, get a a taste and a flavour of that judgment because it is absolutely terrifying. See there, verse 11. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow, he has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. This is a a vivid picture that David paints. Um, A a frightening picture, frankly, um, of the Lord as a warrior. um, Armed to the teeth with deadly weapons. So he's uh, sword sharpened, bow bent, flaming arrows lit. And in his, remember, in his goodness, he's the righteous judge, remember? In his goodness, he brings his personal and deadly hostility to bear on evil. In his goodness, he's the righteous judge, remember? But a warrior carries something else as well, doesn't he? I mean, he has his offensive weapons, but he also has his defensive weapons. Weapons. See, he, he attacks with the sword, but he defends with the shield. And here in Psalm 7, David is appealing to God, the righteous judge, the warrior, that, that David himself might benefit from, not his sword, but the, the, the protection of his shield. Because, again, you, you see there's an unbreakable chain between wickedness and judgment, that is the sword, and righteousness and refuge, that is the shield of God. And in this case, at least, David is innocent. So he cries to God for help and refuge. 
But lastly, and here's point three if you want to take notes, our great problem. I just kind of wonder if this all leaves you with a nagging sense of worry. The natural question is, isn't it, which camp am I in? Do you know, am I in the, uh, the judgment camp or, or the refuge camp? In other words, will I get the sword or the shield from God? To put it bluntly, am I righteous or wicked? The Bible makes the extraordinarily countercultural claim that we are not, by nature, good. But you might say, look, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not like a Cush the Benjamite, or whoever he was. I'm not like him. See, I'm not, I'm not regularly chasing down innocent men to murder. And if that was your objection, I think Jesus might reply, as he did in Matthew 5, 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. See, Cush's murderous antics began with his sinful anger. And that kind of angry heart problem is one from which we all suffer. I've never forgotten when someone once said to me, the Lord gave me my marriage to show me how selfish I am. And he gave me my children to show me how angry I am. And I can certainly relate to that. But look, you might have another objection. You might want to play a theological card, uh, if you've got one here. You might say, well, look, it's all very well, but I'm still not very much like Cush. After all, uh, he's chasing down King David. And here's the theological card. Uh, King David, well, he's God's anointed king, isn't he? And so uh, rejection of God's anointed king, well, that's really tantamount to uh, direct rejection of God. And we learn about that in Psalm 2. And you'd be right. And you might say, well, that's not the kind of thing we've done, is it? To which I think Jesus would say, isn't it? Because you see, when Jesus, who, who is the anointed son of God, the anointed king, see, when he arrived on earth, and remember, he came to, to, to bless and to teach and to heal and to proclaim the good news of the, of the kingdom, how did he end up? Well, kind of like David, falsely accused rejected, abandoned by all, and more than David, in this situation, bloody, beaten, dying on a cross. How easily Jesus could have taken up David's words from verse two. They will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. And so I kind of feel like all of this ought to leave us with a bit of a sense of worry. Why? See, because there's an unbreakable chain with the Lord between wickedness and judgment, and on the other hand, between righteousness and refuge. And the truth is that we just find ourselves standing on the wrong side of that equation. Even David in the big picture. I mean, in this, in this case, sure, he's innocent. But even David in the big picture. See, we all find ourselves standing just on the wrong side of that equation. How on earth can I find refuge with God instead of judgment from him? How on earth can I expect God to shield me when by rights I'm the one he ought to be, as it were, attacking with the sword in judgment? 
And I guess the only answer is that, that somehow God needs to see us, me, you, as righteous. We need to be able to say with David from verse 8, judge me according to my righteousness. Because you see, righteousness leads to refuge. Somehow God needs to see us not as tarnished and wicked and sinful, but as holy and blameless. As we close, here are some wonderful words from Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be, here it is, holy and blameless in his sight. See, the only one who really, in the big picture, when all is said and done, can can say to God the Father, judge me according to my righteousness, is Jesus, God the Son. He's the one who's pure and blameless and entirely good and entirely without sin. He's the one, in the words of Ephesians, who is holy and blameless in the sight of God the Father. Yet what happens to Jesus? He comes to earth and he dies. We've started to see already that, that, that in this way, he's a bit like David. Now, when we read the Psalms, not always, but, but sometimes we, we see King David, God's anointed chosen king, as a little, albeit imperfect, picture, window into what the anointed king, King Jesus, will be like. And, J- and Jesus, like David, in this case at least, is an innocent man, falsely accused, but for Jesus, see, he doesn't just face, like David, the sinful rejection of men. He isn't just, like David, hunted down by those who hate God's kings. It's much more, much worse than that. In this instance, David found safety and refuge, but Jesus didn't. Jesus dies at the hands of wicked men. And you see, much more, much worse than that even, Jesus finds himself on the cross, the blameless one facing the judgment, the sword of God. In other words, Jesus stands in our place. He himself, the sinless one, bears the full force of God's wrath at our sin. David benefited, in this case at least, from the protective shield of God. But Jesus takes the impact of the sharpened sword and the flaming arrows of God's judgment and not, not because he deserved it, but because we did. And for those who believe and trust in Jesus, see, it's not just a one-way transaction. It's not just Jesus gets my judgment. It's that we get his, here's the word, righteousness. And that's why the wonderful blessings and benefits we read about in Ephesians 1 are all ours. Did you hear it? In Christ. In Christ. Did you hear how many times the Apostle Paul used that phrase? And so, for those who believe and trust in Jesus, you are, did you hear it? Holy and blameless in his sight. In other words, God God looks on us and sees 
the goodness and sinlessness and the, the righteousness of Jesus. And because, again, you see there's an unbreakable chain with the Lord between wickedness and judgment and righteousness and refuge. In Jesus, he gives us, not that we deserved it, but he gives us a righteousness. And so we can find a refuge. What do we take home from all of this? Three things, I think. Firstly, find shelter in Christ. He is God's anointed king who, like David, was falsely accused, hunted down, killed. He faced the sword of God's judgment so that we could benefit from his shields of protection. I don't know what else you might be counting on to, to be seen as righteous before God. I don't know, maybe, maybe you've gone to church for a long time. That doesn't make you righteous, so that doesn't help. Maybe you're counting on the fact that... Um, your deeds and actions are not quite as bad as somebody else and so you just enjoy pointing the finger and forgetting that none of that makes you righteous either so it's no good either. Whatever, it, whatever else it is that you're counting on to, to see you right before God, if it's not being in Christ, then there's no righteousness to be found there. And there's no shelter and no refuge so find shelter in Christ. Secondly, praise God for his Righteousness. It is good, isn't it, to know that you have a God who hates evil. I mean, just watch the news. It is good, isn't it, to have a God who opposes wickedness and in the end will do away with it. And then lastly, don't be surprised as you are in Christ and as you start, as it were, to follow in his footsteps as you live for him. Don't be surprised if you yourself begin to feel or to face uh, some of the pressure that Jesus and David did. I'm not sure we quite earn in this country the right to use the word persecution. I think we maybe ought to reserve that for our brothers and sisters in, in Mosul who are at the minute fleeing for the border. But don't be surprised when you see that on the news when those who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus are falsely accused and hunted down and persecuted. I don't be surprised if you following the Lord Jesus feel a little bit of that yourself. But we ought to end, as David does, with praise. Praise that we can find a shelter in Jesus. Praise that our God is good and righteousness and righteous and he will do away with evil. How does David end? Verse 17. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Let's pray together. We do thank you and and with David praise you, Father God, for your goodness and your righteousness. Thank you for the comfort and the reassurance it is to know that you are a God who hates evil. You are a God who will bring justice. And thank you for us that there is a chance for even sinful people like us to escape your wrath and judgment because it fell instead on the Lord Jesus who freely and willingly gave himself for us 
Thank you for your amazing mercy, grace, kindness, compassion on people like us. Please help us now, whatever it costs us, to follow the Lord Jesus wherever he leads. And we pray in his name. Amen.